Okay, we are starting a new series. I'm so excited. I know. I'm so excited. Jealous. Oh, science and ghosts. Oh, I don't like those. We're going to talk about the dinosaur and Job probably. Oh, yes. I like oh, that. I love that. Right now, I'm not talking about this one. The beginning of mankind. Whoa. So, at least for now, the plan is we are doing chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis. Tonight? Or? No, for okay. our series. Okay. okay. Um, and last week, you guys did a one-off series about Jesus and God's relationship. And you could almost, you could almost be called a prequel to our series here. Um, it's, wasn't, it's not necessary to understand what we're going to talk about, but helpful because it gives you a, gave you a deep understanding of um, who is going to begin to reveal himself to man through the Bible, right? What is the purpose of the Bible? Teach you what? About God. Um, Someone is coming. Sort of about. Be more specific. They're coming again. No. Jesus. That's what they do. No, it doesn't. It's a guide for our lives. It can be a guide for your life, but what's the main purpose of the Bible? Tell the story of. Jesus. Yes, to tell you about Jesus. The, the, if you're ever wondering why something is in the Bible or what the purpose of a verse is, the whole, the best place to start is to say, okay, I know the Bible is everything in it points to Jesus. So that's your starting point to understanding the Bible as a whole, okay? Now, there's some things, honestly, there are some verses where you well, you look at it and you say, uh, what in the world does that even have to do with Jesus? Why is that in there? And sometimes um, things in the Bible are there just to give you context to understand the rest of it. Um, to build a story around it, but when you look at it as a whole, that's its purpose for being there is to tell you about Jesus. All right, so Genesis. Probably one of the most famous books in the Bible. Everybody, even people who are not Christians, have probably heard of the book of Genesis. They've probably heard at least a couple stories out of it, right? Right. Like what story? Like how God created the earth. Okay, creation, the flood, right, Adam, with Noah. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And Sweet. Yep. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, yep. So most people know those stories. And then maybe a little bit beyond that, even other religions use Genesis, um, like Muslims. Uh, Jews, of course, you knew that already. Um, or other interesting sects and cults use 
like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they all also refer to it and pull from it. Um, so they will, people are familiar with stories like Joseph and Abraham and things like that, right? So now Genesis, uh, even to non-Christians, secular people, it holds a lot of mystery, a lot of awe, wonder surrounds the beginning of the Bible. And because of that, people, including to include scientists, cult leaders, conspiracy theorists, authors, pop culture, even um, like a carpetbag salesman type personalities, they all you often refer to things in Genesis and use it to sensationalize their agenda. Can you think of anything like that? How about when people talk about like ancient history with um, Egyptians well, and I think I've seen like Earth ten thousand years ago. A lot of times they'll refer to the Bible, they'll pull out little things that support their agenda or what they're trying to put out there. Um, or they will use other religions use it. Like the Muslims even rewrite parts of the Bible. They will refer to it, refer to stories in the Bible, but if you read their version, it's very different. People pull from the Bible, not always with the best intentions in mind. Um, but like we said, its real purpose is to tell you about Jesus and show you who God is. Okay. So, Genesis, I'm sure you all know this. First book of the Bible. It's a dead giveaway. Why? It doesn't, isn't Genesis like the beginning? Like it, like it means the beginning? Yes, the beginning. Um, <clears throat> who, um, hold on. Yep. So, do you know who is believed to have authored this book? Oh. Maybe some of you have it at the top of Genesis. Yes, commonly accepted that Moses wrote this. Um, not just by Christians, the Jews also believe that, um, that it's written by Moses. Some reasons why we think that is the case is because up until this point up until Moses's time there wasn't a Bible that was written down there may have been maybe somebody had written down portions of the story at one time or it may have been given orally handed down like you tell us a story to each generation and they have to memorize it and remember it um, so this is when it first appears and then is copied 
many times after the fact because Genesis along with um, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are all written by Moses. We know for sure that Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are because Moses is the main character in those books. And what is like Leviticus, what is that book about? And the other books contain some of this too. Maybe we'll have to do that series sometimes, Leviticus. What is, all right, let's break the word down if you don't know what Leviticus is. What's it start with? An L. E. Starts with an E. L E. D. I. Levi. All right. What is Levi in the Bible? The tribe. The tribe of Levi. What is their job? To preach. Yes, they do preach. They are. They are priests. Okay. So, the book of Levi. Leviticus is all about the laws that God gives Moses. So that would be the first time it's written down because God writes these in stone tablets for Moses. Okay, so actually God wrote it, but then Moses writes down the narrative of other things that happen. Um, so that's one way why we think that Moses is the author. Another reason is that the style of writing is the same throughout all five books. Okay, it's the same way, way that it's written, it just as you guys could, can, as I'm sure you've all read many books, if you read Harry Potter, it's written different than if you read Narnia, all right? There's a different style, a different voice that's built into it because each person is different. So same thing with Moses. Um, <clears throat> now, one of the things you should be thinking about then, if you now know Moses wrote the other five books, he lived during the, or four books, he obviously then didn't live during Genesis, right? Maybe, it should be obvious, if you know Exodus, the, ferret, the first couple chapters talks about Moses' birth, all right? So, you should be wondering, how did Moses know about Genesis and how the beginning of the world started thousands of years before he was even born. That would be like Gideon is, says, I'm going to write a book about how America started times like 10 in distance that he is away from it. Did God tell him? Gideon could probably write a lot of a book just off of memory, right? He gets some people right, he gets some things that happen, probably some dates right, just from his memory. So you did Moses write this all from memory? Mm -hmm. Or maybe, maybe God was like, Well, he couldn't have right, good. I mean, well, so he could have got some oral traditions, right? He could have got stories orally from people. Um, <clears throat> Hold on. Trying to read my own writing. Um, so, 
Moses was, as you know, born in slavery, right? Who raised him? The Egyptians. No. Um, his mother raised him. Who says his mother raised him? Who says the Egyptians raised him? Both part of his life. <laughs> Both are correct, right? Yeah. So for until he is probably around like five, somewhere maybe a little older than that, his mother, Jacobed, raises him, right? He's found as a baby by the princess of Egypt, but because he's a baby, right, he still needs to be fed and things like that. And especially with royalty throughout history, it's pretty typical to have a nursemaid who does all the baby stuff for you, and then you do the other fun stuff with the baby, you know? And so that's exactly what she wanted, was she wanted a nursemaid, and Miriam, Moses' older sister, says, I know one. Oh. It's my mom. All right, right, so that's where Jochebed, Moses' mother, comes in, and she raises Moses until he's old enough, basically, to go to school, you know, can do those kinds of things. We think what we think of as a like kindergarten or first grade age. So he at first gets essentially a Hebrew school at home, right? Kind of homeschooled. So he learns about their history, I'm sure, because she, especially she knows that Moses is gonna go away from her when he gets older. That's just the way it's going to be. So she certainly would have taught him all that she could during that time. Then after that, because he's adopted by the princess of Egypt, he is then schooled by the Egyptians. What do you know about the Egyptians? As far as we can tell, right? Both, I mean, obviously we know from the Bible there's there are older ones, but they are pretty pretty old, right? Like we have real concrete proof of, I guess. Yes, right. Like we have we have some proof of where Abraham was from in Ur, right? But at the same time, in in Abraham's life, he also goes to Egypt, so just as old, right? <clears throat> Um, what else about Egypt do you know? It's powerful. Powerful. They're, they're pretty well regarded, even today, as having a lot of um, worldly wisdom, worldly science, right? They've always been held up. What? Advanced. Pretty advanced. They're definitely not a... Um, barbarian culture, right? They're, they're knowledgeable in a lot of things. So Moses receives this kind of schooling. Okay, what does that have to do with Moses writing Genesis? They probably recorded it somewhere, somehow, somewhere. Okay, so he probably had access to libraries and things that nobody else had access to. So that's good. Good, like, Egyptian education. Like, from his older education? Right. He's a scholar, right? He's something, you, today you would say, oh, he has a doctorate degree from Harvard or Yale or Oxford. 
you know, he's on that level of the education that he received. Is that enough to trust Genesis as being true and accurate? Let's compare a parallel um, as far as culture that the Bible holds in high regard. The Babylonians. Mm -hmm. Were they smart? Mm -hmm. Do you remember the statue that, that um, sorry, Daniel dreams about for Nebuchadnezzar? Or interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream? What was it made out of? Different things. Different things. What was at the top, the head? Gold. What did that represent? The Babylonians. And then came Persians. Oh, yeah. Later, and even at the bottom, somebody who we hold in high regard today? Romans. Okay, so Babylon, even God said, really smart, really effectual, did a, a good... Good is probably not the right term. A um, powerful and well-run, knowledgeable, worldly kingdom. Okay. What do you do? You know what? Anybody know um, Babylon's idea of the beginning of the world? We actually have it still. Um, they have like a written copy on. I think it's either clay tablets or on stone called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, yes. Yeah. Really different from Genesis. People try to draw some common themes, but outside of uh, there's a flood. Yeah. And just the general hero's journey, that's about the only things that can be drawn. It's way more fantasiful, okay? So, why would you trust Genesis over the Epic of Gilgamesh? Well, we already talked about an interesting thing about Moses for one of the books of the Bible. How did he get it? Leviticus. Oh, it, was, it was tablets written. He was told by God. He was told by God. Well, why wouldn't we think that God might have told him stuff about Genesis and the first 11 chapters? Why wouldn't God have told him about chapter 1? Okay, do that. <laughs> Sorry. Does that sound ridiculous? I don't think it sounds ridiculous at all, but also there is, we don't have a place in the Bible where Moses says, God told me this story about creation. It's not there, but what do we believe about the Bible as a whole? It's true. Okay, it's true. And it says the stuff that happened in Genesis again, doesn't it? 
There are things that are repeated. We are going to go there today. Kind of. John doesn't talk about man being formed from the dust of the earth, though. So, we believe that each book of the Bible is inspired by God, that men wrote it being inspired by God. And that looks different for different people. For Moses, he actually, he got to see God's back. He got to be there in a cloud with God, and God wrote on tablets for him some of the books of the Bible. Other people, like Ezekiel, had a vision where God gives them a, essentially, a dream while he's awake and tells him exactly what to write. Other people, like David, he writes songs that are about his experiences with God. God didn't, as far as we know, God didn't say, hey, write exactly this song and here's the melody to use. That's not how David did the Psalms. But we still believe they are inspired by God. All right. Last note on that, on because you probably, maybe you've never wondered, but why do we have the books of the Bible that we have in the Bible? Because there's other books that are out there that are old, or even Daniel, the Catholic Bible has like an extra four chapters that we don't have. There's something called the book of Enoch. Who's, who Enoch was a guy in the Bible in Genesis. We'll probably talk about him. Why isn't that in the Bible? So. people decided what they wanted in their Bible? A little bit. There was, so there was a group that got together a couple centuries um, after Jesus died that decided what books they were going to put in the Bible. And one of the big number one things that they had determined was a for sure said this book goes in the Bible is anytime Jesus mentioned a verse from that book while he was on earth. That's, that's good enough for me, right? If Jesus is quoting it and saying, this is good, yeah, that better be in the Bible. So Jesus quotes Psalms many, many times. He quotes Isaiah. He quotes, um, he mentions stories or people who were alive and we have those stories written down like Elisha or Elijah, things along those lines. And then we, on top of that, then we looked at stuff like Paul's letters, because it was closer to that time period. They knew Paul was a real person, right? And people knew that he was anointed by God to do what he did. Look at things that Paul references, things along those lines. So that's, that's just part of how we decide. All right. So we spent a lot of time just talking about the book of Genesis itself, but we're setting a groundwork for it. Because um, an important thing about Moses being the one to write this is that he writes these books of 
this book, Genesis, perfectly in the way that is helpful to us still today. And that is that he, when he writes this stuff, it could have been a hundred times longer if he put more details in, right? Sometimes we'd like some more details, um, but he writes it in a straight and to the point way, an economy of words, and he writes it in a chronological story. So it's very easy to follow and to understand. And it's also a very literal story. What do I mean by literal? It means what it says. Right. Versus a parable. A parable, right? There isn't like a hidden meaning to it. There might be deeper meanings behind it. But what he says is what happened. It's not trying to wrap it all up in a mystery and whatnot. But that's what a lot of people today who are not Christians look at it as, oh, it's, it's just a, a, a fictional story. Or it's a story that has another spiritual meaning to it. It's like, well, it does have spiritual meaning, but this is still a literal story. It's not a symbolic story. He's not writing prophecy. What he is, is he's writing a history of what happened. Okay. Um, So, the way that we approach the Bible, and when I say we, I mean us here at East Shelby, and many other Christians do it this way as well, is that we approach the Bible and we read what the words say simply. We don't try to complicate it. And simply and directly, and along with doing that, support what is there with the context and history around it, and sometimes even science. Okay? Um... And we'll get more into that as we go along, because there's a lot of science that goes along with the book of Genesis. So, let's go ahead and actually start reading Genesis. We'll read um, Genesis 1.1. We'll read just the first verse, and then we're going to jump to a couple other places in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Okay. Well. So... Very simple. You all knew it. You probably didn't even have to look at the verse to know what it said. Simply saying, and following our methodology, what is being said in that first verse, Audrey? At the start of time, God made a heaven and made it. Okay. Good. Do you think it gets more complicated than that? Just in this verse? Yes. Yes. Why? What's, how can it get complicated? Because there was no beginning to God. Okay, so Phoebe takes it straight to a theological aspect, right? Diving right in and saying, well, there's this crazy idea that God was always there. That's a huge hurdle, right, for a lot of people that God, and honestly, it should be for everyone, 
because even if you accept it as true, we don't, you can't wrap your mind around that, that somebody had no beginning, right? That was always there. That's, that is a wild thing. Okay. The other thing is heaven, which I don't think we're going to get to tonight because there's more about that later on in this chapter. We don't have like a timeline or... Well, what does heaven mean? Because there are multiple words throughout the Bible. There is heaven. There's the heavens. Paul talks about a third heaven. Like Audrey said, paradise. A lot of times they would say the heavens, which would mean the sky and the stars. And not heaven where God's throne is. Okay? Now, we're going to keep it simple. We're just going to stick with that he is creating the physical world here. That's what we're going to look at right now for tonight. Okay? Let's go to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Gospel of John. And then one person can also go to Hebrews chapter 1 as well. One. One, one. And then Hebrews 1, 2. Okay. Which did you go to? John? Okay. Go ahead and read the first verse, um, Natalia, and then... You're in John 2, right? Yeah. You can read 2 and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Okay. So... Bible scholars, we've looked at this a few times in the past year or so. Who is the Word? God. No. Who's the Word? Jesus. Yes, thank you. In the beginning was the Word, and, and He was with God, right? Okay. And now, Phoebe, if you can go ahead and read in Hebrews, this is Paul writing. Hebrews 1, 2. Yep, 2 and 3, and then you're going to skip and read verse 10. Hath in his last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world. Okay, that's Jesus, right? Jesus made the world. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the world of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And though Lord in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. Okay. So, in that case, heavens, there, he's talking about the, the sky, 
the stars, the planets, the galaxy, that he's talking about all the physical world that we know there is created by Jesus. Jesus lays down that foundation of the world. Who else is there with Jesus? God. The Holy Spirit. Yes, the Father. We haven't gotten to the Holy Spirit mentioned yet, but He is there as well. And so we already see that all three persons of God, the three personages, the Trinity, are there creating the world. Though they are acting through Jesus, who is physically doing the creations. We read there that he laid the foundations of the world there. Now, here's an interesting thing to think about. Why Jesus? Why pick Jesus? Why not the Holy Spirit? Why not God the Father, right? He's the head. Why wouldn't he do it? Because Jesus is a sacrifice. Because he's his only son. Okay. What's the tie? Why? That's a fact. But what's your relation to why to choose him to do it? You're on the right track. I mean, what do you think, Natalia? Why pick Jesus? Not that this is necessarily how it was, because we don't understand how they work together as one, but if they're all sitting there together at a meeting, why would they say, I think Jesus should do it? What do you know about Jesus? Maybe what he did, his relationship to us. He became a human. Okay, we're on a better track now. He became a human. Because he loves us. What does, yes. Now, they all love us, right? Um, why is it important that he became a human? Because he, like, lowered himself to our... Okay. Okay, right. That makes it so you can have a connection with God. Without that, it's very difficult to have a connection with God. Because how can you have a relationship with someone if you don't share any experiences together? You can't. It, or it's extremely difficult unless... For us, because we're physical beings, unless we have physical experiences with people to have a relationship. Okay, something to build on. So, here's an interesting thought. And um, <clears throat> this isn't necessarily correct or anything, or it's just... A thought that I've had that I think is an interesting way to think about it. So time doesn't matter to God, right? So we have, because especially with this, we're starting start, right? We're talking about that right now, the start of the world, and then it goes on and on and on, and we don't 
don't know when it's going to end. And we said that God. Oh, I should put. Infinite, but not even just a line, right? Because he's not bound to one, one trajectory, right? If time doesn't matter to him, and he is all places, all times, all dimensions at the same time, and he can move in and out and all around, when he is creating the, this blob of an earth as it starts, and then when he is forming man out of the dust of the ground to have arms and legs and lungs and a heart that pumps, and then he breathes air into that body, and he's doing this, is it with hands that are already pierced by the nails. You don't have to answer that. I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's a good way to think about it to say, all oh, right, he's thought about this before they even decided to make the earth. They probably already thought about this and what they're gonna do. Because time doesn't matter for them. He already knows what's going to happen. Let's go down to verse 2 now. Of Genesis, sorry. Back in Genesis chapter 1 again. We're going to start to get into the details of this creation. You can read it in time. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, so this is a really strange picture. Um, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it, because how can you picture something that is formless and void and has no shape? Because you're all picturing something something in your mind because that's how we work. All right, what are you picturing? Black. Natalia, what are you picturing? Just black. Black, okay. So, whoop. Natalia says blackness. Which is correct, right? What is it? Does Is it in that verse? Sorry. Yeah, darkness, right? What are you picturing, Gideon? Uh, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Absence of everything. Yes. What are you picturing, Audrey? Like a black hole, but like because of the void thing, so like there's nothing that goes on forever. Okay. Black hole. But like not. not. What are you picturing, Phoebe? Like a blobby thing. 
But it's like covered up by shadows. Okay. That's kind of what I picture as a blobby thing. Because it's, it's odd, right? Because how would he even describe this anyways? But he says that the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. The deep is, yes, is it, that language in the Bible usually refers to an ocean. So, Whoa. there's something there, right? It doesn't have a shape. <laughs> huh? Well, what does it say at the end of the verse? Uh, two. Spirit of God moves on the face of the waters. So, may not be an ocean in the sense that we think it is, but there's water over the face of the earth. So, I mean, it's all these things combined together. Okay? However that looks, but to make it even more weird and mysterious, it's added there then that the, that the Spirit of God moves on the face of the water. So we have the, that's where the Holy Spirit enter in, enters in. And he's moving on the face of the water. I don't know what that means. I'm not going to tell you what it means because I don't know. It just says that the Holy Spirit was there and he was moving. Okay. And when, whenever the Holy Spirit is moving, what is happening? Change. Could be change. Probably change. But God is doing something, right? Something, is, God is involved and is moving somehow. All right, let's move on to verse 3. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay. Famous verse, right? Everyone knows that. A scene we're all familiar with. So, do you know, though, where is the light from? The sun. Maybe he made the sun when it was like... What do you mean when you say God? Like... Because... If I ask where something is from, the correct answer could always be tied back to God, right? Yeah. Where's your Pepsi can from? They came from the store, they came from the bottling plant, and they got the chemicals from the earth and the aluminum from the earth that God created, right? Okay, so... light everywhere, because it says that he divided it into light. He divided it into light and dark. Oh, he so does, so yes. So he have, did that. There could be light everywhere. Is it? So. Yeah. Okay, we're on a good track here now. You you know more than you thought. Let's. Um, I. <coughs> let's read four and five first, and then we're going to jump to another and book God, of the Bible. And God said, saw the light that was. Er, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And evening and morning were the first day. Okay. 
So, we see that God has created days now, and he set the bounds of that to be when it's light out, it's daytime, and when it's dark out, it's nighttime. Something that we are all bound to still to this day, even with our super bright LEDs that we have now, it's not the same as when it's daytime, is it? Never, never quite the same. Now, we still need to know the origin of this light. I'm, you can go there if you want, but I'll read it to you. I'm reading out of Revelation chapter 21. <clears throat> um, I'm going to start with verses 10 and 11. And this is John, the same John who wrote um, the Gospel of John that we already read out of. And this is him. Remember we talked about how the Bible is written. This is one of those ones where God gives him a vision and he writes down what's in the vision. And at the end of this vision, of course, it's about the end of the world and the end times. At the end, he describes what it's going to be like when the new Jerusalem comes down, what heaven is going to be like. And this is what he says in 21.10. He, that is an angel, carried me away, the spirit, to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone, most precious, even a jasper stone, clear as crystal. All right, jumping to to verse 22 now. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Uh, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor unto it. Okay, so where do you think the light is from? Like, within God. It's from God. He's there, right? Jesus is there laying the foundations. The Father is there. I don't know what it looks like. And the Holy Spirit is on the waters. The light is from God, from Jesus. However that looks... But John says that it's so bright that it's brighter than any precious stone and clear. And what? Why do you want clear light? Because, like, right? We started off. We had oil lamps or candles in the history of the world, or light from a fire. That was pretty good. But what's wrong with that kind of light? It casts the color, and everything's discolored. Yeah, you can't see clearly like you can with the daylight. And even the daylight is um, not the same as what the light from Jesus, from God, is. It's going to be a perfectly pure light that sheds light on things. Now, um, We had darkness, and we still have darkness, right? Where we have day and night. I'm sure you all know this. What is darkness? The absence of light, right? You can't have 
although I guess in fictional science fiction things there are, but you can't have a flashlight that shines darkness onto things, right? There's no such right because you it's not a thing to be shown on or to be spread out. It is only exists when there is no light. So already we have God showing us some of um, the most fundamental and basic teaching metaphors that he uses through the, throughout the Bible. It's there constantly. John talked about it, right? And if we were to, we read verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1. If you continue on to verse 4, or maybe we read, it was either verse 4 or verse 3. It says that, and he was the light of the world, and is the light that is in the world. Because, and that, that leads us to, is he physically the light in the world? It could be. What would the other one be? Because we know, okay, he definitely was here, right at the beginning. Oh, we should add that. So suddenly there is. Light everywhere. Light. There's light, right? It would be light as in truth and. Okay, right. So it also, light refers to truth. That Jesus oh. is the truth. That, yeah. Right. And notice that he also divides the light from the dark. So dividing the light. Well, what is good and what is evil, right? It, when you have the light, you can see clearly as to what is good and what is evil. Okay, so already he's painting pictures to try to make you understand who he is. And these are, what's important about these is that they are basic things that everybody who ever lived can understand the difference between light and dark. Everyone knows what that experience is like, what it's like to be in total darkness and to know nothing. And then suddenly the lights come on and... Huh. It's not so scary now that I know what's, what's there and what's not. And because of these very basic things, it makes the gospel easy to share with everyone. Even other cultures, like we looked at Brushko, I'm sure when they interpreted that part of the Bible, they didn't have to come up with another word for light and dark because they already had those words. And then the other one that we see here is the spirit, the Holy Spirit that's on the water. What is the tie to the Holy Spirit and water? Because it's moving the water, and water is moving. Yeah. Like, formless, shapeless, like water as like the phase. Okay, so you're taking it to the scientific, right? And we said we were going to do that. That there's a lot of science stuff that fits in very well because God made it. But also in the Bible, along with that, is that 
many times the water is used to try to describe what it's what the spirit is like, how it acts. Refreshing. Refreshing, yes. But it, another thing is the wind is also used because you don't you can't you can control water to a certain degree, but it goes where it wants to go, right? If you just dump water on the ground, it you, it goes goes where it's going to go. It's going to flow down a mountainside. It's going to uh, if it's in the ocean, you can't fight against it when it's when it's does what it does. You can't control it. We can harness it many times, and then. What's another place where you see the water being used in Christianity? Baptism. Baptism, okay. So we see that the world begins out of the water, that this new beginning is coming right out of the water. Okay, just interesting ties to make here. Um, so, and then the last thing we talked about the light that. It's one of the first things he does. Why does that matter for our world? Scientifically, why do you need the light? Plants. Plants, okay. Why do they need light? To make food. Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Yes, synthesis. Yeah, that word. I don't, I'm not going to explain how it works because... That was a long time ago that I learned about that. But essentially the plant takes the needs light to live, right? We just started seeds indoors for some of our plants and some of them are only five, six days old. And the, what they're doing already, even though they're right in front of the window, a south window, is they're all reaching towards the light. Because even inside with a bright window is not enough, they need to be with light all around them to live. Light brings heat. The absence of light, cold. Okay? Got to have heat for life. And then um, so you see both light and water. Those are the two things that they're always looking for out in space to try to find life on another planet, right? Like, we gotta find water on Mars. They got the light already. It's close enough to the sun, but we gotta find the water. They're always looking for these things before they even look for to find life elsewhere. Um, <clears throat> so, we're not gonna, we're gonna stop there with the day and night. Um, you were on the right track though because you guys brought up the sun. I just want to go there quick because here's an interesting thing. And usually, at least I never thought about this until I was older because when you think of the creation story as a kid, you think, oh, he created the light, the sun. But that's not what happened. We already established that. But he's going to then going to create the earth or the actual physical ground. He's going to divide it from the waters. He's going to divide the water from the atmosphere. And then he is going to create all the plants. All this time, 
there's something that we're used to that's missing. Go to verse 14. It's not until the fourth day that he does this. I'll read 14 for us. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be signs for the seasons and for the days and the years. Let them be lights in the before lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so and God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night he made the stars also so the greater light is the sun and the lesser light is the moon he created all the plants all the trees all the flowers the grains the fruits all that stuff before there was even a sun to power it. Because he's doing that the whole time. God's light is providing that. So, it's interesting because that's what's going to be when he makes the earth new again. There's not going to be a sun. He is going to be providing all of that for, the, for all of the new earth. And whatever the plants and everything looks like on that new earth. Okay, so that is it for tonight. Next week we will go on and we will look at the rest of the days of creation. Thank you guys.